Sunday at 7 on C103 and it's time to begin another journey. This week I'm on my way to the North Cork village of Liscarroll. The mention of Liscarroll brings to mind Donkey Sanctuary and yes, we'll be going there too. But I'm also paying a visit to publican, poet and farmer Philip Egan. When last year I spoke to Philip about his sports gallery which is situated in the lounge bar. Philip has been a Manchester United fan all of his life so it's not surprising to find information here on the club but also on the Munich air disaster of Thursday, the 6th of February, 1958. Having played Red Star Belgrade in a European Cup match, the plane carrying the Manchester United team and staff crashed during takeoff from Munich Airport. Of the 44 people on board, 20 died at the scene, three more later died from their injuries. The Manchester United team were basically wiped out. We hear the story of the crash, but also how Sir Matt Busby rebuilt a team that would win the European Cup 10 years later. So, sit back, relax and enjoy the journey. You're very welcome to where the road takes me and you. Donkey Sanctuary is situated approximately one mile from the village of Liscarroll. They first opened their gates back in 1987. In between, the sanctuary has loved and cared for over 5,600 neglected and abandoned donkeys from all over Ireland. For many, it would be the first time in their lives that they have experienced a loving and caring environment. At present, over 1,800 donkeys and mules are in the care of the sanctuary, 670 of these are in private guardian homes, and the remainder reside in four farms in the Liscarroll area. Laura Foster is director of Donkey Sanctuary Ireland, and as we meet up at the sanctuary, I remark on what a beautiful, tranquil place this is. Yeah, we're really proud of the experience that we can offer our visitors here. It is a really beautiful environment, lovely working environment. The donkeys are obviously lovely to be around and both our staff and our visitors um, love to spend time with the donkeys. We've been here on this site since the 80s. The Barrett family, as many people will, will know, started uh, a sanctuary here back then and uh, and it became part of the donkey sanctuary in 2011. So um, this site has around 140, 150 donkeys um, at any one time but we have another four farms as well but yeah this is the this is the kind of main visitor attraction um, and the way that the visitors and supporters can come and find out more about our work and of course meet the donkeys. Talk to me a little bit about the background from where these donkeys would come from. So it's a a very mixed bag in terms of their individual stories but uh, all the donkeys that you'll meet on this site have been rescued from the community via our welfare team who work all all over Ireland, um, the Republic and Northern Ireland. So we have uh, a team of 10 donkey welfare advisors working across the whole country. And um, we had a period of, of time where we really grew, our donkey numbers grew significantly after the Celtic Tiger peak and then crash. And, you know, we found that there was a period of a lot of abandonment and neglect, a lot of people getting donkeys, then not being able to look after them properly. So at one point we, we took in um, a 
a very high number of donkeys, around 500 in 2015. Since then, you know, operationally, we haven't been able to accommodate as many animals. And we're also finding it increasingly challenging to find solutions for, for donkeys and, and, and mules because we look after mules as well. So the, the background of the donkeys would be typically they may have been living on a farm. The west coast of Ireland tends to be our, our busiest patch. So we would find a lot of donkeys living in rural locations, um, not having the right kind of husbandry, which then leads to health problems, health and welfare problems. So our welfare advisors work really closely with, with owners and keepers. A lot of the time, people who love their animals just need some advice. And wherever possible, we would we would support them to keep the donkeys in, in those homes and in, in those environments. But sadly, a lot of the time, the, the animals will need to move. And as I say, in the past, they've come into us. Um, our sanctuary facilities are now full. So we, if we can, we make space for, for donkeys um, that are the most vulnerable. So if, if people are following us on social media, they may have seen stories of mares and foals coming into our care. And that's that's because if we can, we will make space for mares and foals. But sadly, um, increasingly, we, we just can't find that space. So we work with a lot of other rescue organisations. We work with um, the Gardaí and the Department for Agriculture as well and their veterinary inspectors to try and find solutions for, for donkeys and mules in the community. So their, their backstories will, will vary, but um, a large population of them will have come from those rural environments. Now, if you ever wish to know anything whatsoever about donkeys, their care, their needs, what they like, what they don't like, what they eat, and what you need to do to adopt donkeys, the lady to ask is Cathy Griffin. And Cathy's been telling me about her role as Head of Welfare at Donkey Sanctuary Ireland. So I lead the welfare team, 10 welfare advisors that cover all of Ireland, including the six counties in the north. And we respond to welfare concerns for donkeys in the community. We also have a rehoming scheme where we rehome our donkeys from our sites out into into approved homes in the community. And part of our role is then to support those people and those donkeys to ensure that both get the benefit of being out in a home. And we also do a lot of education and donkey care courses and, and things like that. I'm sure lots of people come here and see those lovely donkeys and say, oh, I want one of them, I want two of them. It's not as simple as that. And there's a lot to talk about and a lot to discuss before a donkey goes out the gate here. Absolutely. And, and who could blame them? I mean, they're absolutely wonderful animals. So of course you, you naturally, particularly when you see small fluffy foals and how cute they are and you know you have that urge to just take them all home with you um, I certainly have to stop myself taking too many home um, but no they're not easy uh, they're wonderful animals to keep but they, you need to keep them in the right way they're not native to Ireland which surprises a lot of people they're desert animals so a lot of their care actually just you have to work hard at it because the wet climate that we have here the, the muddy ground the rich grass that we have are actually all detrimental to donkeys so they need a lot of work to keep them in really good health um, the rewards you get is the you know the wonderful companionship that that donkeys bring being out in the fresh air with them and even even mucking out the stable it's great exercise and you get to interact with your donkeys and it's wonderful but it is hard work and it's 365 days of the year if you go on holidays you got to think about who's going to come and look after your donkeys you know they need to be checked regularly during the day they're very good at at covering up illness they don't like to show when they're when they're not well so you need to know your donkeys really well and spot when there's little changes in their habits and their behavior that can mean that they're actually quite sick vet care can be quite expensive 
Um, as Laura mentioned already, they need things like vaccinations once a year. They need their, their teeth checked by an equine dentist once a year. They need their feet trimmed every eight to ten weeks. So if you've got two donkeys, you know, that can, weigh, that can really come up to a lot of money throughout the year. They're very sociable animals, so you don't like sending a donkey out on his or her own. No, absolutely not. I mean, a lone a donkey on its own is is a miserable donkey. I mean, they they will they're quite stoic animals, and they they some of them will look like they're coping with that. But there's there's a difference between surviving and thriving, and we all need a friend, and we all need an appropriate friend. Um, so if you're a donkey, an appropriate friend is another donkey, and that's the best friend another donkey can have. And they will play together. They'll mutually groom. They'll stand over each other when the other one is sleeping, so they feel safer together, and they just have that innate desire to be with a herd and to at least one other donkey to feel safe and relaxed and enjoy their life properly. If you ever pay a visit to Egan's Lounge Bar in Liscarroll, the chances are you won't stay seated for long. The sports gallery here is bound to capture your interest and get you off your seat. Photographs, signed letters and all sorts of sporting memorabilia adorn the walls of the lounge. Philip Egan has been writing to sports personalities and clubs for ages. Being an avid Manchester United fan, he has photographs which he purchased from the club while at school. And he also purchased an LP record from the club, which has commentary on the 1968 European Cup final when United beat Benfica 4-1 after extra time. This was an amazing achievement when you bear in mind that it was only 10 years after the Munich air disaster, which basically wiped out the team. When I was a young lad, uh, my interest in Manchester United grew when, when um, I was a young lad going up to the local hairdresser here or the local barber and uh, he, he was a man that had a pile of old cuttings of matches and players and J and everything up on his wall but he had a picture of the United um, Manchester United players the Busby Babes up on his wall and of all the players on each of their chests was emblazoned died or survived or whatever you know so that's when my interest has started and you know I started writing to Manchester United way back in the 60s and I bought photographs I still have them to this day in, 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 in scrapbooks I was paying two shillings for a, a six by six by four or six by eight photograph of all the different players in black and white you know so that record actually came from Manchester United it was a, a recording of the obviously there were no videos or whatever at the time of the European Cup final in 68 came off uh, one of the Benfica fullbacks in fact and it's a corner to United corner on the left first corner to United a minute and a half gone into this first period of extra time and tries of United United away around the stadium they want very much to win this one. Here it comes, across the area, low one. In goes Sadler. He's crowded out by Umberto and another of the defenders who finally clears it way downfield. A long one for everybody to chase. Nobody chases. And in the end, it goes over the line on the far side. But done back to take the throw. Long one back to Stepney, who's calling for it right on the edge of his penalty area. He's got Shea Brennan up with him. He rolls it to Brennan, in fact. Brennan turning back to Stepney. Stepney comes out this time, kicks it right-footed, high, inside the Benfica half. A chance here for George Best. George Best is through. He goes round Enrique. He must score. George Best must score. George Best has scored.
an excerpt from the LP recording of the commentary of the 1968 European Cup final that Philip Egan purchased from Manchester United at the time. The game was played at Wembley Stadium on May 29, 1968, when United took on Benfica of Portugal in front of a crowd of 92,225. It was one all at full time. The game went to extra time, with United winning 4-1. The goal scored by George Best, which you've just heard, was the first of three scored by United in extra time. Ten years earlier, in February of 1958, after already having eliminated Shamrock Rovers, Manchester United were returning from a European Cup match in Belgrade, having eliminated Red Star Belgrade. The plane at the time was not capable of flying direct from Belgrade to Manchester without refuelling along the way. So they landed in Munich, where the weather was bad and it was getting worse. That's right. Uh, in actual fact, John, Manchester United first went into Europe in the season 1956-57. And um, there was a lot of opposition to United going into Europe at the time. Busby had to fight his way for to get them in. But in 56-57 season, they actually reached uh, the semi-final. Real Madrid beat them in the semi-final. They lost to Real Madrid 3-1 in Spain and it was a two-all draw. So that ended their trip that year. So in the 57-58 season, as you said... They actually played Shamrock Rovers in the first round and they beat Shamrock Rovers 6-0 at Delimont Park. There was, um, I'd say, 46 or 7,000 at Delimont Park that time, as you can imagine. The Busby Babes, they were, you know, huge figures. And there was a local man playing as well, Liam, Liam Whelan, who was from Dublin. So that would have added to the attractions. And in, in the return leg at Old Trafford, Manchester United won 3-2, which was a fair achievement by Rovers to go to 3-2. Then in November, the United continued their quest. They beat Dulca Prague and they went on to beat the player Red Star Belgrade at Old Trafford. In the first leg, United beat Red Star Belgrade 2-1. Charlton and Eddie Coleman scored. So the return leg was played on the 5th of February, which was played in Belgrade, Yugoslavia. And the actual result of the match was Belgrade 3, Manchester United 3. So Manchester United were through to the semi-final of the European Cup. The plane had already made two failed attempts at takeoff at Munich Airport. Making a third attempt would make even the most seasoned air traveller concerned. As the night progressed, the players were getting a little bit edgy. There was also theory put forward that initially the English FA did not want Manchester United or Matt Busby to go into Europe. They were against the whole idea, with the result that Manchester United were due to play a game on the Saturday as well. So the theory was as well that at the back of Busby's head was this game that they had to play on the Saturday, which would not be postponed because of United's trip into Europe. So then at the top of the attempt, they came out and um, they, they went into the plane again and Liam Whelan, who was an Irishman, devout Catholic, was reported that said at the back of the plane that um, if this is death, I'm prepared for it. On Where the Road Takes Me this evening, I'm paying a visit to the North Cork village of Liscarroll. I'm in the Donkey Sanctuary just outside the village, and I also pay a visit to the sports gallery at Egan's Lounge Bar, where Philip Egan and I discussed the Munich Air disaster of 65 years ago. Part two in this evening's edition takes us back to Liscarroll after the break.